Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself, Simon Jordan, and Martin O'Neill were on hand to react to this weekend's action. Simon gives us his take on the potential ownership change at Everton, as well as Arteta's idea to rotate his goalkeepers mid-game. We also cast our eye over the latest at Manchester United and ask if Paul Heckenbottom was right to rant about the state of Premier League refereeing. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. I think, like you, I get information over the weekend on seven, seven, seven partners. And if anything, by the sounds of it, they're to be avoided by Mashiri and by Everton. Um, obviously, they, they will have their plus points. They will argue they have many plus points and positives. Things. They're two different things, but, Jim. Mashiri yeah. and Everton are two different things. Mashiri would like to leave Everton. If you believe that Mashiri's motivation will be what's best for Everton, um, there may well be an index there because if he's got a deal that carries on with some financing that gets him paid further down the line as a result of Everton's achievements, he'll be mod- moderately mindful of that. But these guys that are trying to buy Everton are buying Everton because it's part of a portfolio of opportunities that create wealth for them, which in part you have to accept in this world of business and globalisation and the economics of sport. But I would be very careful. I would be very careful. I think the Premier League would be very careful. There are two stages to this deal. There's the agreement with Fahid Mashiri, and then there's the ability for this deal to be completed under the auspice and governance of the Premier League. Mm. You know, it's easy to, 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 to do a deal with Mashiri. He's, he wants to run away like Wiley, Wiley Coyote. He wants to get out of yes. it and don't be yes. under the illusion that he doesn't. Yeah. Um, and so when that deal gets done, we'll see what the Premier League is. But I, I, this, is a, this is the archetypal frying pan and fire mentality for Everton. It's that bad, is it? Well, um, I mean, I was I, I, what I heard over the weekend, and we may as well stick with this, Simon, at the moment. Uh, when you get a cautionary note like it's believed they don't have quotes real funds, they're not of a mind to build anything quotes real at the football club. I mean, those are red flags to say the very least. Well, you you check the source on that and make sure that the source doesn't have their own motivations. And, and I have a good understanding of who, who's been saying these things. But the point is, is that there's substance behind it. And 
when you're when you're buying football clubs or you're buying businesses and you're raising cash to do it through private equity methodologies, there's always the argument how much actual cash you've got of your own you've got anyway. You look at how Todd Bowley, with due respect to his incredible wealth, that wasn't Todd Bowley's money. It was a whole raft of private equity players' money. So the argument that they don't have real money, if they if they don't have real money, they won't complete a deal. They won't get past certain obstacles in terms of the funding requirements of the football club. But the motivation at the centre of it is primarily their own. And with that, you'd like to think that they drag the football club with them because if their motivations are their own, they need some level of success attached to it, which means Everton need to be moderately successful. Yeah. That success could simply be for them retaining Premier League, Premier League status, waiting for the stadium to complete and flipping it, which is what this feels like. So, I mean, again, enlighten me, Simon. Why would someone like Mashiri, who has enormous personal wealth and knows how to make money, why would he agree terms with 777? If we know what we know... He knows a hell of a lot more than we do about them. Well, he wants out. There's very little doubt he wants out. And so with that in mind, unless there's a huge list of potential suitors that want to buy a football club that requires significant funding on two fronts, one on the cash flow criteria they've got at the moment in time of the football club and the other with the cash calls required to build out the stadium. If you don't want any part of that, if you have now had enough and you've spent 500, 600 million pounds, whether it's your money or Wismanoff's money or whoever else we want to allude to, if you've had enough and there are other aspects of your commercial life that are also under pressure, which may all also be the case, who knows, then you have no more appetite for it, then you're going to look for a solution. And if that solution looks like these guys, of course Fahid's going to turn around and say, I've got the best interest in Everton in mind. Yeah. Yeah, And that may well be directly relatable to a deal that gets done that gives him revenue further down the line, which might make him a little bit more concentrated. But this is more about Fahid Mashiri getting out of Everton than what is the right fit for Everton. What did you mean there? I've seen a couple of messages. Jim, pick up Sam. What does he mean by they want the stadium and then they'll flip it? They Listen, the opportunity to make money from football is is there. If you do the right deal at the right price with a limited amount of your own money in the deal and you can find a situation where you've got a better going concern than the one you've got now. Everton look like a basket case right now. They look like they're just about hanging on by their fingernails in terms of Premier League status. They've got a decent manager in the dugout, but they've got very little intellectual capital behind the scenes, which is holding them together, both at board level, with due respect to those in situ, and on the football operation side of things, supporting Sean in what he needs to be able to achieve. So it looks like Everton are about to hang on to their Premier League status by their fingernails. You've then got a stadium development that comes into play. All of a sudden, you've got a slightly more economically viable football club, better stadium, better facilities, better look, better infrastructure, better feel about it. Then you can flip it. If you've put very little money in, you're servicing debt as a result of doing it, and someone comes along and fancies it a little bit more because the climate's changed I behind see. that football club, you you've, got got you've got an opportunity to turn it quick. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that goes to show what the messages I've been getting, and I know you've been getting some <coughs> messages over the weekend about 7-7 seven, seven Partners, that do they have any real genuine interest in Everton Football Club? Probably not. It could have been any football club. Am I right? Well, They don't no, have any emotion in Everton, do they? No, but I would argue, and I would always you argue You emotion this. in Palace. Well, by God, a, you did. A whole different dynamic. Nigel Doherty had, had investment in Nottingham Forest. Most guys that own mm. football clubs have, invest, mm. have, have emotion in the investment they put in there and subsequently become attached to it because it's a reflection of them. There's no way Sheikh Mansour was emotionally invested in Man City and there's no way Todd Bowley's emotionally invested in Chelsea. They were invested in their particular agendas. Yes. Mansour's is whatever his is yeah. and Todd Bowley's is whatever his is. Todd Bowley's 
is a economic model. To some extent, it's not too dissimilar to Man United, except it's private equity money. Everyone's going, oh, Man United are loaded with debt. So to some extent are Chelsea, because Chelsea are loaded with debt from a private equity firm that want to return on their money. Sure. They didn't buy Chelsea so they can just sit there losing two and a half billion and spending a billion pounds just because they feel like burning money. It's because they want an economic return, yeah, which will yeah. be at Chelsea's expense at some time. It's interesting, Martin, briefly listening to Simon about the Everton situation. If anyone worked for a football club as you did at Celtic under an owner as you did like Dermot Desmond mm-hmm. there was the right owner at the right club there was a guy who'd do anything for that football club who loves his football club I met Dermot on a number of occasions that's the kind of owner any top manager wants isn't it? Uh, well very much so I mean I didn't know Dermot at all until uh, until we got together um, I think I mentioned to you before I got a a phone call uh, from Sir Alex Ferguson saying, would you have any interest in uh, going to Celtic? Of course, that was absolutely right. I would have done. And then, uh, but uh, Sir Alex knew Dermot and um, and he recommended me anyway. I think one of a couple of people at the time. And so I met Dermot for the mm. very first time on Monday. Uh, listen, I mean, very difficult to say no to him when he's when he's putting something in front of you. But he had a, a vision for the football club. That was the most important thing. Well, we all have visions. I think Simon had a vision when he took Crystal Palace over, or he certainly had, as he said, an emo- an emotional um, attachment, attachment to it. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. he grew up supporting them. Yeah. And um, so, but Dermot was always a big Celtic man. Yes. And therefore, he wanted to do. He obviously wanted to uh, have some success. Your one hundred percent essential download, outspoken with White and Jordan. Martin, when it comes to managing teams these days, is your manager uh, a modern day thinker? You'd like to think he is. Is he innovative? Yep, you like to think he is. Arsenal go to Goodison, they win. So they did that. They won at Goodison for the first time actually since twenty seventeen, beating Everton by a goal to nil. And there were, there were a few raised eyebrows when, uh, before the game, he pops in his lad acquired from Brentford uh, instead of Aaron Ramsdale. And that itself was a talking point. But thereafter, he continued on the goalkeeping situation when he was talking post-match. This was interesting. Have a listen. I'm a really young manager. I've only been three and a half years in, in the job. And I have few regrets for what I've done. One of them, it was that in two occasions, I felt... After 60 minutes and after 85 minutes in two games in this period, to change the keeper in that moment, and I didn't do it. I didn't have the courage to do it. But I am able to take a winger or a striker and put a centre defender back and go to a back five to hold that result, and we draw those games, and I was so unhappy. And someone is going to do it, and maybe it's ah. That's strange. Why? Why not? Tell me why not. You have all the qualities in another goalkeeper to do something, something has happened, you want to change momentum. Do it, you know. And it's a regret that I had. And now my feeling is to get everybody engaged in the team, that they have to play, regardless of the competition, and do it. And it's my message. I like that. Martin, is this uh, the next thing we're going to see in uh, top flight football in the Premier League? David Raya might start a match, but Ramsdale will finish it. I mean, he, he predicts the next trend in the Premier League will be in-game goalkeeper substitutions. You go for that? Well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, uh, listen, I'm all on for innovation. And um, I know that uh, away back uh, in the um, in the playoff final in um, 1990, uh, 1996, I changed the goalkeeper 
uh, for the last minute, but that was to do with penalty, a penalty shootout. Our goalkeeper, Kevin Poole, was small, uh, very, very athletic, but small. And then I put a big lad called Zelko Kalitz into goal. Actually, as it turns out, we scored in the last seconds of the game, so it wasn't necessary. But this is a different thing. The first thing I would have, if I had been doing that interview there, the first thing I would have said to or asked Arteta, when you when you didn't make those changes, what, or when you were thinking about making those changes, what was your reason for it? Was it because the goalkeeper had been poor in those particular instances, or was it something that you felt maybe he wasn't as good at using the ball? I don't know. Was the answer? I mean, but to he freshen was it up, maybe. That's why. Why do you make some substitutions if only if nothing else? Well, depen- than freshen it up. Maybe it depends on the score. But the, you know, for, but if you're thinking about a goalkeeper. If you're happy enough with a goalkeeper for 65 minutes or 75 minutes, then perhaps, unless he's dropped a ricket or something, I guess I'm, I'm not wildly sure. As again, I get back to saying I'm all on for innovation and uh, people will turn around and say to, well, if you can change outfield players, why can you not change a goalkeeper? But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I don't think, I don't think uh, changing goalkeepers just for the sake of it at the time, will happen often enough in my lifetime. Anyway, let me put it this way. Well, the way I look at it, Simon, is he's trying to tell me really that goalkeepers are the same as any other outfield player nowadays. You've got one to 11. They happen to be one. Yeah. And uh, you're at liberty to change them as and when you want for whatever reason you want. Because if you get him on the bench who's just as good, if not better... Why not bring him on at some stage and say thanks to the guy who started the match well, for yeah. you? Two number ones are better than one. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a bit of innovation for innovation's sake. It feels like Arteta is making sure that everyone thinks that he's a clever, innovative manager that isn't just following in the footsteps of Pep Guardiola. I, I don't understand the context of this interview and the structure of why he said it and what benefit this wisdom gives us. I mean, the irony of it is I spent a lot of time with Palo de Canio on Friday and he obviously substituted the goalkeeper very famously in Wes Fodderingham, who's now at Sheffield United, and pulled him off after 25 minutes because he wasn't doing what he <laughs> yes. wanted him to do. So there's an irony of that. Yeah. Look, yeah. I mean, I think most people accept that goalkeepers are a very different breed than outfield players. That's why you have specialist goalkeeping coaches that work with them. They have different requirements because their concentration levels are very different than average uh, outfield players because there'll be long periods of the game where they don't actually have to do anything. They just have to make sure that they're switched on. It's a very different requirement. But notwithstanding that, I'm not... I mean, obviously, I'm not against the idea of it. And if there's good reasons for it, like a set of circumstances where there are specific skill sets that one goalkeeper has over another, as Martin alluded to, and of course it was indexed to the fact they beat Crystal Palace in that playoff final. It um, was, I think that was just before you came in. It was a few years ago, but I was at that game. Well I watched it, yes. Well I watched remembered. It. I, watched, I watched Claridge and his little attempts during the course of the game and ultimately his ultimate outcome. But um, I, I just think that there is, there's no reason to turn your nose up at it. There's also an element of... Okay, what benefit is wisdom if it doesn't profit the wise? If you believe you need to change a goalkeeper, change it. Yeah. I mean, is that is that wonderful for us to know? Is it part and parcel of the thinking? Of course you don't just stick with the orthodoxy. T- ten years ago, no one would have ever imagined, not Martin, or maybe he'll tell me something different, that goalkeepers c- could play the way that Edison plays mm. and does the things that he does. And so that's an evolution and a revolution in the expectations. Back in the day when you had Ron Greenwood rotating 
uh, Peter Shilton and Ray Clements and yeah. deciding which one he was going to put in. Yeah. I don't think that did either one of them any particular good until he eventually alighted upon Peter Shilton. Mm. Um, people accept now that goalkeepers are right up there. I've always believed, always, from a young boy up to being a football club owner, that goalkeepers are a fundamentally uh, integral part of a winning side. They they win your games, they earn your points, they win your leagues at times. And obviously we've seen that now in the price tag of goal, goalkeepers. We're seeing goalkeepers being bought for £75 million pounds, uh, in, in Becca. But this sort of innovation feels to me like, um, look at me, look how clever I can be. Do you yeah, think... Just, just, you think, just on that very point, sure well, the, the changes... The, uh, the cha- well, just before that, the changes, um, goalkeeper now having to be able to use his feet or use them uh, more properly... It's about time. It, well, it's to do with the back pass rule. The back pass rule is, has been introduced. If the back pass rule had, had existed in, uh, say, in, in 19, 1970, 1975, yeah. Yeah. Peter, Peter Shilton would have had a major problem with it. Would he major have, problem. Really? He would did, he yeah, have been absolutely. no use at it? He, he he's hadn't great feet, but Peter Shilton just happened to be, you know... I would say uh, probably the best goalkeeper in the world in 1977, 78, 79. He's getting on. He's 74 today. Is that right? Yeah. So it it didn't matter then because you could pass the ball back to the goalkeeper and they could pick it up. And so those changes, um, Simon's right. I I didn't see that uh, taking place, but you knew that the goalkeeper would have to be better with his feet because when it's been passed back to him, he's now under pressure. And And now suddenly, rather than just kicking the ball into the stand... Some goalkeepers are comfortable, really comfortable with it and can actually take that extra touch. And and even as someone's coming in to, to challenge him, he, he thinks he can elude him. And, but should, and we surprised that, should we be surprised at that, Martin? Actually not, taking that mm. extra touch. The game is a uh, football. Yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. But there's also goalkeeping. Goalkeeping, holding on to the ball, generally speaking, that does help a great deal. <laughs> And and uh, yeah. you know you could be the best in the, in the world at your, with the ball at your feet, but if you're not actually a good goalkeeper, then you have a problem with sure it. Sure thing, That's sure like, thing. Yeah. I know I Absolutely. get that. It's professionalising it as well. Ultimately, yeah. I mean, goalkeepers like Edison now are a form of offensive play. Look at the way that boy hits a ball from one end of the pitch to the other and puts it mm-hmm. where he wants. It turns mm-hmm. it turns defence into attack. So there's a lot more to goalkeeping because football, as it's gone over the years, has got more and more professional, yeah. more and more detailed, mm-hmm. looked at all the margins and every single area, make you know, make one percent difference in a hundred different areas, you've got a far more compelling proposition, haven't you? Sure. And goalkeepers being look at the athletic build of goalkeepers. Once upon a time it was a tacit acceptance that goalkeepers could have a body fat content of fifteen mm-hmm. percent because that was the makeup. Not anymore. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Manchester United have a number of sideshows on the go. Not least the biggest one of the lot, the Glazers, still in control. Will they ever sell? Who knows? And then you've got the Jaden Sancho situation. Then you've got the Harry Maguire situation. Mason Greenwood situation. The situation with Anthony. But on Sancho, before United took to the field to play Brighton, a match they lost three goals to one, Ten Hag was asked, Sancho, is he going to play for you again? I don't think this subject is important. I, I think it's important. I have to prepare my team. So that's what I do. I prepare my team in the best I can. I put all my effort in, in the players who are available. He is not available. So yeah, in this moment, he is not important because he can't contribute. Straight line, this is what the, the point, but the, the club asked me because there was no good culture before I entered last season. Uh, to set some standards, and that's what I did. Yeah, then it's my job uh, to control the standards. And, and of course, it's never have been as well that someone, when he make one mistake, uh, no, there are, it's a whole process before you come to a certain outcome uh, about strict lines. Uh, but if staff of players or, or whatever who, uh, if they, uh, if there's a structure to cross lines, yeah, you have to be, be strong. Absolutely. You know, it's incredible, man. He says the club told him there was no good culture before he arrived in the scene last season. So the club said, set better standards, get a hold of this. And this is Manchester United, the club that this man says is the example that everyone looks up to in world football, in world club football. This is Manchester United. Ten Hag drifts in and says... The club have told me I've got to get a grip of this place. That's what he's saying. Uh, yeah. Can't believe it. Can you believe that of Manchester United? You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't want to believe it anyway, because it's it is Manchester United. But things like that can happen. Um, you know, the you know they can players can get carried away with themselves. You know, you they they genuinely feel as if that they're. Uh, this this idea of entitlement is something that you wouldn't want to to attribute to a Manchester United group of players. You certainly would never have done that there under Alex Ferguson. You would never have said. I mean, I'm talked to Roy Keane, and Roy Keane uh, would say, "We we win the championship, we go on holiday for a week or something like this here. We think about the next season within ten days, and you're back at work again." And and winning. Winning begets winning. It starts to, you know, it becomes a habit. So Manchester United in recent years have dropped out of the habit of winning football matches, but players are still hanging around. Players players who I just said are not really good enough to go to Manchester United, but maybe are earning so much money that they can't be shifted so easily. So that's that's happening. So if Ten Hag felt that there wasn't a culture there and it was up to him to improve it, I think he's again... Um, we discussed this here about half an hour ago. I think, again, he's talking about, about the Ronaldo situation and the fact that they won some matches after he, after he left and it feels 
again as if he's won the battle. Simon disagrees, but it doesn't really matter. That's the, the whole point about it, says he. But Manchester United, at this minute, you would have to say, are not they? They do not have enough good players to be contesting the big, the big ti- the, uh, the 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 big prize, which is the uh, Premier League. I mean, behind the scenes, Simon, they have dropped. They have plumbed the depths. And this man's come in, he's recognised it, and he's he's had to get a grip of it. He's had to get a grip of it. Um, well, of course he has, because that's part and parcel of his job. He but but the big thing is winning on the pitch, and he's not getting a grip could, of that. But you could make that accusation of every manager coming into a club when someone's been fired, because someone's been fired because the performances of the team have reached a point where the standards and the culture of the club isn't going in the right direction under that particular manager. So you need to change it. Of course, it's amplified in this environment because of the attention and the subsequent scale of Manchester United. So he's just dealing with what any other manager would have to deal with, except his football club gets more column inches than any other football club in England Mm. because of the expectation level. Because once upon a time, through a cyclical period in Manchester United's history, like it's been before, Busby took over United, built a side that was dominating and winning the European Cup in 1973 or 74. They get relegated. They put Wolf Farrell in. They put Frank McGuinness in. Or Wolf McGuinness in or Frank Farrell, the other way around. And and, and bottom lining it, United have gone through a period where they didn't win the Premier League for 26 years. I wonder if they put Wolf Farrell in. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But I I know Um, where you're going with it. Anchorman. (laughs) <laughs> but um, but the point is this: is this that he's has he got with... control of it now? Has he got? Is he getting towards full control of what's going well, de- on off the field of playing? Well, now? It depends what you think is full control. It depends. I mean, winning games gives you authority. Being able to make the, the way that managers make their points, as Martin has alluded to, is they win things. Yeah, and he has a challenge on you his agree hands. With that. Well, it's common sense, isn't it? It's not particularly insightful. It's a statement of facts. Because ultimately, if you're losing things, you're going to get no respect. Um, If you're on a journey, and United can't afford to be on a journey, United have to arrive in the here and now. Other football clubs can be on a journey. They can transition. They can go... The problem for United... Like so many times when you have a generationally great manager, is and City are going to find this. Believe me, they're going to find it when Guardiola goes. They're not going to be able to keep up this level, irrespective of the foundations that he's put in place, because the culture will change when a new manager comes through the door. And if they're really, really lucky, they might find someone that gets somewhere near to what um, Guardiola is. The problem for Ten Hag is, is that the culture of Man United over the years, and I, people are going to not be surprised by this, I think the crystallised period is under Solskjaer. I think the culture of that football club and the standards dropped under him. They might have got into certain positions in the league. They might have done certain things with certain things that they they, they achieved in. But underneath all that was short-term gain for long-term loss. And someone else is taking the pain. I don't think David Moyes was given any crack of the whip, so he's not even in the conversation. Louis van Gaal doesn't have standard problems. He had communication problems and an arrogance issue that the media didn't take to. Mourinho, it doesn't have problems with standards. He had problems with his attitude towards being up in Manchester, not getting precisely what he wanted when he wanted it, yeah. when he wanted certain players. But this morning what surprised me is Neville said, the Glazers are partly responsible. The Glazers are responsible, not partly. But the Glazers are responsible. You, you've partly gone with that. Well, of course he has. I mean, the Glazers are probably responsible for Gary paying his staff and hotel football minimum wage. But the bottom line is, is that you know the reality of the world that we live in is that you are at the top of the tree. Of course you're culpable because you're the person that makes the decisions. But that does not mean in isolation. It means. In, in, in conjunction with those that have recruited, in conjunction with those that have spent £1.6 billion of the football club's money on players that really haven't advanced it, on managers that aren't capable of making decisions commensurate with the size and scale of Manchester United. It's one of these unique jobs that has a life of its own. There is no football club 
in English football that has the same feel about it as Manchester United, has the same expectation, has the same focus. Now, you've got to have, you've got to be really, really be it, be, be it to manage Man United. And I don't think Ten Hag is. I think he'll get you there. He'll do a decent job because he's no fool. Although Gary's been peddling that uh, that Glazers. Glazers are, are, have, according to Gary, they've been responsible for every bad result that uh, Manchester United have had. They've actually, they've actually won uh, things under the Glazers as well, too. So that's... Um, and it, it can't always be You're that. not having it. No, You're well, not having no, that no, at no, all. No, I, I do take it from the top, absolutely. And I take Simon's are you, point Are you exactly. telling me, Martin, that players no. at the training ground talk about the owners, talk about the Glazers? Do you think the players at Manchester United have conversations about the Glazers? Because well, I don't. Well, if they, I, I agree with you because if they do, then it's an excuse then, if that's the case. Yeah. It, and and uh, But you should never be using ownership of a football club for your excuse for your for your ability or inability, as the case may, may be, or or your unwillingness to go and, and put yourself out there. Getting back to Sancho, who was a talented footballer. He's cost £70 or £80 million pounds or whatever it is. And uh, I think it was Solskjaer bought him and wanted him badly at the football club. If you'd seen his last year at Dortmund, it wasn't great, I must admit. It really wasn't great. So sometimes there's maybe a reason for that there. But Sancho does not go past players. This is his job. His job is to take players on. His job is to beat players. His job is to go past and make things happen. And honestly, he's not doing that. So he has to ask himself a question. Why is this happening? Forget about my arguments with the manager at the end of the day. I Listen, I... I, as a player, I spent my time arguing with managers. I, I, I'm thinking to myself, well, well I'm, I'm miles better than that there. And then sometimes, if I had seen maybe the video back, I might have, I might have taken the manager's <laughs> viewpoint. So, listen, some players have to look at themselves and say, yeah. I'm not doing this. Yeah. I might not be getting the encouragement from the manager, but that's beside the point. But Again, that shouldn't I'm, even be in the conversation. No, I mean, he hasn't done anything since no, he's walked through the door. No, I mean, this is, this is a moot point. Whatever. Eight million mm. later. Yeah, I mean, the reasons, yeah, yeah. The, reasons, the reasons why they bought him for 73 million quid is because the previous year, they were up, they, Dortmund wanted 120 million euros for him and they couldn't get it, right? So there must have been a clue in a title that for 73 million quid, something's happened to that player. He's walked through the door and he's done nothing for United. He's done nothing. He's, his output at his moment in time is nine goals in 58 games, which means his contribution is going to be six goals. I don't think he's had that many assists. He's a he's back, he's sideshow Bob. He's a background mm. noise. Yeah. It's just because they haven't got him in the mix and because Ten Hag has made... The expectation within the confines of Man United is the thing that's changed. There was an expectation and a sense of entitlement or more to the point belief that United were operating at the highest level with, in, with, with, with impunity at that level and, uh, and ultimately an expectation to win. It's not there anymore. That expectation has gone mm. and now yeah. what you're doing is you're trying to rebuild a culture in a football club and you need a really seriously yeah. capable leader to do it and I debate whether Ten Hag is that. Mark, you did, as we head to the break, you said, quite rightly in my view, that players should not use ownership issues as any form of an excuse. Do yeah. managers do it? Have you ever used an excuse away from the field of play? Right, I'll buy myself time with this. Well, I, I genuinely don't think so. I mean, I've, I, 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 I didn't bring, I didn't bring my um, my uh, debates with uh, with Mister Lerner into the dressing room. You know, I did, I didn't do that at a all. Villa. Just, no, exactly. So I don't, I don't think I ever used that as an excuse. I, I, as uh, you, listen, you have what you have. I think I, I explained the last time 
my my uh, my argument really with uh, with the owner was if he if he was going to be downsizing, then he maybe should tell the public. But that, that's that's almost as if I'm letting myself off the hook. There was, you know, there, listen. Uh, Once or uh, twice, uh, you were uh, throwing something that was going on behind the scenes. Uh, n- no, uh, no, I, no, Never? no, I, no, I didn't. You no, kept I, it all. I certainly did not. I'd, I'd never Sunderland used that there. Sunderland or Forest? No, never. Didn't use that there. No. I think sometimes that people can see this here without actually having a, having a conversation in the dressing room. But again, it's getting back to the point. You start you start doing that there. You start trying to draw sympathy or empathy with the players. You're going to go nowhere. You're 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Paul Hagenbottom started a bit of a rant, it's fair to say, but his words were directed very much at the officials. It's not funny, the referees just are killing the game at the minute, ruining it, absolutely ruining it. I've got no qualms over the result, and you could see me from nil-nil, because he's telling our keeper to hurry up. So we split to play out, just look at all the goal kicks, we split to play out, so then we do it again, get out a couple of times, so what Spurs are going to do, they're going to change. So they put the ball down, Spurs change, so Wes has to make a different decision. And he's getting told to play. Well, no, you, you. Why would you play then? Spurs have adapted to us, so then we have to change again and play something different. And you've got Peter. No problem with Peter. Him and David, good guys. But the referees just showing how little they know about the game, and they're directing it. So how can how can that be possible? So I go and show them at half time. I want to show them, but I know they can't see it. So we're not taking long and go. From the moment it's down, they're taken within ten seconds. Right from the moment it's down. But what happens is, like, because we're getting out and playing to Ollie and keeping the box, Spurs change what they do. So Wes has a different decision to make. But he can't make his decision until Spurs have moved. Does this, does this make sense? And the referees haven't got a clue. They don't know what I'm saying. The answer back to me was, well, kick long then. So we work all week on how we want to play and the refs are dictated to us how we play the game. Can't happen, but it's happening. Centre-back jumps into Wes, turns his back, leads with his elbow. Wes gets stitches. And that's deemed a yellow card. Ollie McBurney goes to the referee and says he's pulling my shirt. Not swearing. He goes to the referee. This, this is actually, I'll see it. He's pulling my shirt. He gets booked. Deemed the same offence. We've got a player missing now. They just do not know what they're doing. Strong words from Paul Heckenbottom. Can he really indulge in language like that and an outburst like that at a time like that? Is he speaking too soon after the event, Martin? Well, I've 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 done it numerous times myself, so uh, I, I know I have some sort of uh, sympathy for it. I I I wasn't sure. I was at the game, so I wasn't sure exactly what point Paul was trying to make there. The the goalkeeper had been booked in the first half. It actually been booked. I believe he had been booked for handling the ball outside the penalty area, and he was taking time to kick the ball. And it's one of those situations where you know that the the that the home fans they're behind in the game. They're going to ask the goalkeeper to to hurry up. The goalkeeper had gone down for an injury. Then he picked up, and I think I think he might have felt, oh, I can take a little bit more time. And it was getting. Uh, sometimes I was thinking to myself, please, you better kick this quickly because this referee is going to step in. But what the referee didn't book him the, uh, uh, for for taking his time. But what he did do was add it on the minutes, the twelve minutes. Right, and, so, and Paul knows. And he knows tw- that's going to happen. And the 12 minutes, which I didn't see, I must admit, but that's beside the point. Yeah. Uh, uh, the 12 minutes, and you you felt that if Tottenham Hotspur would get a goal at this particular stage, that they could go on to win the game. But that, that that's a, a side issue. Getting back to the point where I think he had a he had a point, and maybe it was in the in the last minutes of the game. Uh, Sheffield United have got a free kick. McBurney's been ho- held back. The referee books him for dissent. 
and then I think that's that's kind of harsh. I know the referees are uh, under some sort of directives, you know, to try and cut out this dissent, but that was uh, that that was uh, that was harsh. The referee I felt in the first half had a reasonably decent time of it. The second half got a wee bit more hectic for him. Do you think it's but it's all, you you say okay, Paul, Paul, it's all right that you speak like that though. But in speaking, he knows like, the rules. This is, I, yeah, the rules yeah, have changed, I, I, I think, yeah. There's a difference there, now yeah. about how they go about no, it. No, I, I, I don't think I don't. I'm, I, I'm not in agreement with. Do you the think rap, he should have no. reined it in? I do believe he should have reined it in. But those time, there, it's difficult sometimes. You know, when you're holding on to a, to a, to a, to a lead in the game. You've seen they've seen the the fourth official stick up the twelve the twelve uh, twelve extra minutes mm. and you're trying to hold on. You've been defending for quite some considerable time. You've scored in the break and you're thinking, can we just run this down? And it it wasn't going to happen. So on the back of all of that there, and then the last minute, McBurney being being sent off for a second yellow uh, second yellow card that doesn't help. But the run in terms of the referees ruining the game, I have I. I, I'm not in agreement with that. I think the referees are under severe pressure now for certain uh, for certain things here. The minute somebody goes down with a head injury, uh, th- he has to stop the game, otherwise there's going to be reprisals later on. It's just a difficult task to referee the do, game. Do you back the new rules, Martin, that all these minutes are added on? I'm in favour of it. I am honestly in favour of that there. This, I really am. Um, I know that sometimes uh, that, that you think, well, well, we'll start, we'll start with this here, and then it'll lessen later on. I'm all on for it because I need more time uh, to 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 watch a football game. Do you think really the message do. is going to go over, Simon? The time wasters will get the message. Well, it depends. You how, can waste time now, but it will be added. I on. mean, I mean, Howard has said in no uncertain terms, this is not for today. This is in perpetuity. So this is not a fad. This is not us addressing the issue in the short term and then rowing back. We're going to have these standards. We're going to operate. We're going to regain a little bit more control back in the officialdom world. And and Paul's latched upon that. There is an element of the referee is the authority on the pitch, not the players. And the reasons why the needle is switching probably a little bit to the right for the referees is to try and establish some authority back. And it'll centralise itself. It's gone that way too far with the players. It's probably going a little bit too far with the the referees now. And in the middle is where it will land. But they've brought this upon themselves. Maybe not Paul Heckingbottom and his group of players, but culturally, football has brought this sea change in the referee's attitude. Ollie McBurney has got himself in a situation where he has every right to feel aggrieved about the free kick that was awarded against him. Right for pulling for for pulling the other person's shirt when it was his shirt that was being pulled, but he's got to keep his trap shut because ultimately he's now got himself booked on the back of dissent. It's easier said than done. I understand that because when you're in that moment of a great emotion, where not everyone can walk around being laissez-faire about it. But these are the rules, and it's it's going to like like the idea of we want you to stand ten yards back, and people refuse to do it. So they got so bleeding basic they've. Put a spray can with a, with a with a line on it to get people to get the point because yeah, it's about yeah. what the authorities are prepared to do. I would like dissent out of the game. I would like town wasting out of the game, and the people that are the recipients of the disadvantages of the time wasting are those that are time wasting, and that's what you want. <laughs> it's gone full circle. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I have actually sympathy for for McBurney because he's been held back. He can't make the run into the penalty area, and in a and a fit of peak, he's decided. The, the, he has actually, uh, according to the referee, overstepped the mark, and he's and he's been booked for dissent. I now these are a new set of rules. They've just come in. It's not going to the, the players eventually will have to to, to have to uh, 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 I shall shall I say accustom themselves to this. 
But at this minute is difficult, and you've been held back a minute. You're trying to you're trying to get yourself into the penalty area, and the next thing you know, you're being fouled. But on, the, but the referee has now decided because you've chatted back to him, that mm. he's going to book you. I I have sympathy for that. Having said that, we back Howard Webb, don't we? We do. In and what he's ha- trying to do. Look, you have to, Martin. I think whenever you whenever you said. Whenever we say to these players, how because there's this argument being brought, or they weren't told late, early enough in the in the preseason, yeah. that whatever you they have to acclimatise themselves to, right. and they will take whatever period of time they want to, and then they can reap the repercussions of not acclimatising to it quick enough. <clears throat> I don't know whether McBurney, I don't know if Ref McBurney had gone to the ref, our oh, ref. And and it got booked for that, or he had a lot more to say for himself. Probably, and some the of the language was a bit choicer. <coughs> yeah. yeah, and yeah. if that's the case, then he brought it upon himself. One thing saying, "Ref, you got it wrong." It's another thing going off chapter and verse on what he thinks of the referee's heritage. Mm. I think you said uh, was it last week that Phil Dowd made up made up his own rules, did he? Oh, Phil did. Yes, yes, he did. In the league cup final, <laughs> yeah, it was in the league cup final. It was in the first minute of the game. Um, Vidic that I spoke to uh, actually yes I, I, I mean it's it's uh, it's something that I don't think about only about 15 times a day and um, yeah but he made up his own rules and that was the point if he had made if he had stayed with the rules that, that the yeah. referees were having there was a fairly decent chance that with the side that we had a goal a goal up in the first couple of minutes against Manchester United although it was Sir Alex Ferguson's team and uh, we, uh, against 10 men at Wembley, with the sort of strength and power that we had and the running power that we had in the side, we might have won. Who knows? It doesn't matter. It, it, but, sorry, it does, but it still well, nibbles yeah, away at you, doesn't it? Well, of it? course it does. Of course it does, because it was a trophy. You want to win it. You want to win it. And, uh, and the referee had a big bearing on that game. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.